Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I tackle the question many investors are wrestling with, which is why and how the market has come back so much despite the fall off in economic activity and the high degree of uncertainty. Things like the massive government stimulus, how long-term assets like stocks are valued, investor behavior and the fear of missing out, and how the companies impacting the market the most have actually benefited during the shutdown, while those hit the hardest weren't large weightings in the context of the overall market to begin with. We try to make sense of what some may consider an upside-down market, where bad news in the economy can be good news, at least in the short term, for stocks. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Oh, one other quick thing. If you find this conversation valuable and interesting, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you take a screenshot of the review and email us at info we'll send you a free copy of the book, The Guru Investor, How to Beat the Market Using History's Best Investment Strategies. This book outlines in detail some of the more popular strategies we run on Valeria. Valeria's John Reese and Jack Forehand co-authored this book together. Thanks so much. All right, today we're gonna tackle a question that I think is on a lot of investors' minds, which is how the stock market can be basically um, back to where it was pre-COVID-19, or very close actually, on the NASDAQ, I think is above it. Um, and the S&P, I think is uh, basically back to break even um, or right around there. But how can the market be where it is today, um, even with the sort of most, one of the most difficult economic um, environments that you know we've seen in a very long period of time with the shutdown of the economy and certain businesses and um, industries really just getting um, decimated? not every business or industry, but many of them um, have actually taken pretty huge hits. And so you have this big difference between how the market has reacted and the overall economic backdrop. And you try to tackle this question in your article, making sense of the disconnect between the stock market and the economy. And um, we're gonna sort of walk through some of those points today and try to tackle, I think, this issue that is on a lot of investors' minds. Um, so maybe at a high level, do you want to um, sort of build off that, and then we can get into um, some of these points, which I think, which I think are very interesting things to take into consideration. Yeah, this is confused everyone, not just you know your in, your average individual investor, but some some of the best investors of all time have been completely confused by this. I mean, I remember early in this process, Druckenmiller was out, you know, talking about how you know, the market had to fall from here, and you know he's since sort of changed his opinion because he underestimated the power of the Fed. But this has really confused everybody because we look in our everyday lives, people are locked in their houses, we see small businesses struggling, and we can't understand why how that could be happening on one side, and then on the other side, the stock market continues to surge to all time highs. It just doesn't make sense. And so the point of this article is to try to take a step back and say, maybe it does make sense. Here are some of the reasons that this might be happening. And, and then to take a look at you know, what that might mean for the future going forward. I think the first point that you uh, brought up in the article was that the stock, and this is what we're kind of saying here, the basis of it, the stock market isn't the economy. Um, and these two things, at least in the short run, can diverge um, 
pretty widely. So do you want to just kind of, I guess, flush that out a little bit more? Yeah, if you looked at a, if you looked at a line of the stock market and the economy, and they, they both move up into the right over time, but you would what you would also see is you would see the stock market moving, you know, deviating from the economy pretty regularly. So what's going on on the ground in the economy right now doesn't necessarily determine what's going on in the stock market. And it's important to remember the stock market is looking to the future. And so the stock market is not worried about what's happening in the economy today. The stock market is the present value of a long-term discounted stream of future cash flow. So the stock market is worried about what's going to happen in the economy in the future. So when you get these pivots in the economy, you can see the stock market and the economy deviating a lot. And you know, a good example is if you look at 2008, the stock market went down before you started to see you know, a recession declared and before you started to see the econo economic activity going down. And then the stock market led the economy back up on the backside of 2008. And so you'll see around, around these big pivot points, you can see significant deviations between the economy and the stock market. And so what the stock market is saying right now is, although the economy is terrible right now, we, we expect the stock market to be, or the economy to be much better in the future. And so it's looking at that future and that's leading the stock market to lead, lead the economy up in hopes that, that the economy is also going to go up in the future. Right. I think that's a very important point. You know, the stock market is a leading indicator. You're, you, you can be in the middle of a recession and sort of have stocks basically start going back up, moving in anticipation of, you know, a better economy and better earnings. So that's something that it's hard for investors to deal with because like you said, a lot of times during those periods, it's when you're sort of at a trough, maybe in the business cycle or in the case of the, the, the shutdown, um, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the losses were so steep and so quick, and then the, re the reversion back up has been incredible and very quick as well. Um, but that's because the market sort of started to sniff out and discount that, you know, there's a likelihood that there's going to be a recovery um, in many of these businesses, you know, looking out into next year. Um, so that's, a, I just think that's a very important and uh, interesting point. Um, the, second the, the market one, has a good way, I'm oh, sorry, the market has a good way of always thinking ahead and outsmarting everybody. And so think another, another good thing to look at is think about Trump's election. You know, all of us that were investors were thinking when, when Trump won and it was a surprise, we're thinking about, well, the market's going to be worried about uncertainty. And so the market's going to tank. And, you know, the futures, start, futures were way down overnight. But what the market was thinking about is the future and the economy. They were thinking about lower tax rates. They're thinking about lower regulation. And so, again, the, the market was looking at what the economy is going to be in the future, not necessarily what the economy was today. And the market saw a better economy under Trump than it did under, you know, under Clinton. And so that's why the market went up. Regardless of your political beliefs, that's why the opposite of what we expected to happen happened. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good, good, good example with, with the Trump election. Um, the second point that you uh, made was that the industries we see in our everyday lives aren't the ones that impact the market the most. And let me just read a quote here from Barry Ritholtz, who wrote an article on Bloomberg. He said, the most visible and economically vulnerable industries are also the smallest based on their market capitalization weight in the major in indexes such as the S&P 500, adding that market markets, it turns out, are not especially vulnerable to highly visible, but relatively tiny industries. Mm -hmm. And just to add on to that, you know, when you look at like energy, the energy sector was the worst performing sector during the decline. So, um, and I, I, I know this because I recently was running the numbers from January 1st through March 23rd, the average stock in our investable universe in the energy sector was down on average 67%. Um, so I'm not necessarily talking about the S&P here. I'm talking about small, mid and large cap energy stocks. 
But when you look at how much energy makes up of the S&P, it's only like a two to 3% weighting. So even though energy was the sector that got demolished the most during the decline, it actually has a very, very low weight in the overall S&P. I think at one point energy might've been eight or 9% of the S&P 500. Now it's like 2%. And so, you know, you can make the case for airlines, restaurants or whatever. So a lot of these companies, companies and industries that are most affected, they're really not major weightings in the uh, most popular uh, market indexes. Yeah, I, w- I went to the mall yesterday. And you know, if you go to the mall, you really understand how bad the economic situation is. You know, most of the restaurants were mostly empty. You know, a lot of the clothing type retailers were mostly empty. The movie theater was closed. You know, and then last, I just got back last night for my first flight since the pandemic, and that was pretty empty as well. And so the things we're seeing in our everyday lives would say, wow, this is a really, really bad situation. But then when you look at the S&P 500 and you look at what actually matters in terms of its weight in the S&P 500, you get to Facebook, Google, Amazon, Apple. Th- those types of companies are what actually is are the most important in terms of driving the returns of the S&P 500. So you can have a situation where all these things, you know, you talked about energy, which is a very small weight. All the things I just talked about are also a very small weight. So we can see all of these things struggle and, and think, wow, the market should be down a lot. But the reality is these huge companies are actually not, not only not hurt by the pandemic, they're doing a lot better and they have the biggest weights in the S&P. So there's this big difference between what we're seeing in our everyday lives and what actually matters to the market into the S&P 500. Now, the one sort of counter to that or thing that, you know, you might worry about longer term is some of these industries um, do employ a lot of people. So if those people don't end up coming back to work or their incomes are lower or these companies have layoffs, you know, that probably trickles all the way down into obviously those people that are affected in the spending. Um, But at least so far, the market hasn't, and this may be kind of tie into the next point here, but, you know, so far the market isn't it doesn't appear to be worried, worried about that. Um, yeah, that, that's a good point because if, if you think about it, Facebook is an advertising-based business. Google is an advertising-based business. Amazon, you know, requires people to buy things, although they're, they're just taking share from other companies at this point. And, you know, so does Apple. So if eventually consumer spending goes down, you know, and the economy begins to struggle, eventually you have to think it's going to trickle to these companies. But in the short term, these companies have effectively been taking share from these other businesses that are struggled. So, you know, all these local retailers that you can't buy things from anymore, you're now buying them from Amazon. So they've been able to, to not only, you know, they've been able to take share from those companies, but you're right, in the long term, we don't know. I mean, if the economy completely tanks, you can't think these companies would be immune to it. One of the things I saw earlier today too was it was looking at how many jobs Amazon has added back to, I think it was the last decade or something like that. And I think Amazon basically employs like a million people now or something close to it. And I think they've added since the, since the pandemic, I want to say maybe 100 to 130,000 jobs. So, you know, it's sort of like a shifting. It's like, I don't think that's going to make up for all the jobs lost, of course, because they're in the ten and in the millions um, at least. But, you know, it, it is uh, interesting that, you know, you do have companies like Amazon um, adding jobs and hiring people. Um, clearly their business has benefited from this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, and that's, you know, that probably is not offsetting all the other losses. And you can see that in the unemployment rate staying high. But yeah, those companies are doing exceptionally well. And, you know, it'll, time will tell whether that continues. One of the things on spending, and I think this plays into your next point, is when you look at where the stimulus money has gone, um, you have a chart in your article. So, 
you know, about 30% of the overall $2 trillion in stimulus has gone to individuals and families. Um, 25% or 500 billion has gone to big business. 19% has gone to small business, about 17% to state and local government, and then 9% to public service services. So, um, but I think that that, uh, you know, part that has gone to individuals and families has, you know, some of that has obviously found its way back into the economy and to help, I think, keep spending to, at somewhat, you know, um, good, de you know, de decent levels. So, but that was your, uh, that was your point. I don't mean to st steal your thunder on this point, but, you know, that was your point here that the government has, you know, injected a massive amount of stimulus into the economy. And at least in the short run, um, that stimulus matters a lot for stocks. Yeah, and it's important to differentiate Fed stimulus from the government actually giving money to people. And, you know, what we had coming into this was quantitative easing, Fed stimulus. And, you know, many people argue that's propped up asset prices, and they're probably right about that. But that money was not making its way into the economy. And so what's really different about this stimulus than what we see, saw coming into it is the government has put a ton of money into people's hands. You know, you had the PPP program, extended unemployment. You, you had the checks written directly to people. And, you know, one of the ways my chart in the article is, is a little bit deceptive is that the money that goes to big business and small business, a bunch of that money will make its way into the hands of individuals. Because if, if I bail out the airlines, the airlines are going to pay some of that money to their employees. Or if I, the PPP program, one of the requirements was that money had to be paid to employees. So some of that money definitely made it in the hands of employees. And so what you've had here is you have a massive amount of money in people's hands and people are going, especially if you put, you know, you give that money to people who need it, they're going to spend that money. And so that, that's one of the things that's different now. And it's one of the reasons the market is up is spending has, you know, held up pretty well here because a lot of that money that's been put in people's hands through the stimulus has been spent, has been put back into the economy. And so that's just a change from this sort of Fed based thing that had been going on coming into this. And, and it's one of the reasons the market has held up very well is, you know, incomes are actually up right now as after the pandemic and spending is down, but spending is not down nearly as much as it would be. Right. Um, one of your other points, and I think it, it kind of plays into that expectations uh, point we made earlier, but is that uh, much of the value of, of uh, equities, uh, long-term assets like stocks lies way out in the future. So if you take, for example, um, a stock, let's say, that would have seen massive declines in profits in Q2 and Q3 this year, but you can see some type of bounce back um, in, late, into later this year as the business recovers, and then maybe it gets back to profit where it was from a profitability standpoint at the end of 2021. And going out further, you can sort of see, and I'll let you kind of build on this, but um, that, you know, if profits take a massive short-term hit, but then investors believe that those profits are gonna revert back and get back to that level, um, that actually it makes sense that stocks are, many stocks are back to where they are because the um, negative implications of profitability actually aren't long lasting, potentially. Um, so the point is, is that you know, much of the value in equities is, lies way, way out in the future. It's really not in the here and now. This is something Jeremy Siegel's talked about a lot. If, if you look at the total value of a company as, as the present value of its future cash flows, something like 5% of that value is in this current year's earnings. And, and when rates are low, like they are now, the discount rate you're discounting all that back at is lower. And so the future is much more important relative to the present. 
It's, it's one of the reasons people argue value stocks have not done well. So when you look at those things together, you have a situation where if this is a short-term thing, and if a year from now we're going to be back to normal and the economic hit is not going to be that bad, then you can argue the stock market shouldn't be down very much because most of the value of these companies lies in years beyond the current year. You know, you could argue something like a 5% decline might be all that's warranted because only 5% of the value of, of companies is in the present year. So it's, it's just important to keep in mind, and we talked about this in the, in the earlier point, is we're talking about the discounting the future back. And if, if this is a long-term problem, if, you know, after, if we don't get a vaccine for a long time and then after the vaccine, we still struggle economically, then this is a much more significant problem for the market. But if as many people are betting right now, this ends up being like a one-year type of problem, we have a vaccine and then we go back to normal, it makes sense for the market not to be down that much. And your last point, I think, was uh, mostly about behavior, but maybe I'll just start with like a momentum um, stat on the markets here. And I just saw the other, the other day that through the end of August, the S&P actually had a five-month gain. So it had gained each month for the last five months. And in the last uh, 26 times historically that that has happened, the S&P is actually up 25 out of 26 of those times one year later. So, it, and, and the point, this was from an LPLP piece. And the point was, is that, you know, an object of motion tends to stay in motion. And if that trend actually continues and it actually shakes out that the market is up, you know, there's, there can be this um, sort of idea or the fear of investors missing out. So more market gains, gets more interest in the stock market, more people pile in. And, um, and we know there's a lot of cash on the sidelines as well. So that's another factor you got to take into consideration. So I think the point that you were making in your article is, you know, in the short run, especially behavior uh, of investors can matter a lot. Yeah, you know, when you get these, and I'm not going to say whether I think this is a bubble or not, but when you can get these bubble type situations where all that matters is that more people want to keep buying. And so we all have a tendency, all these other reasons we're trying to find economic reasons why the market's up. But sometimes it's just one of those situations. You know, if you looked at the market in 1997, you would have had a lot of reasons why the market was overvalued and you would have had a lot of reasons why, you know, it should be going down. And it just kept going for two more years. So these bubbles can last a lot longer than you think. I mean, if you looked at, I had written an article a while back about the CAPE ratio and going into the 90s bull market, the, the highest CAPE we'd ever seen, I think was 30. And the 90s bull market produced a CAPE of 45. So 50% more than we had ever seen. So is it, it's possible we could produce a CAPE even greater than the 90s here. You know, Japan's I think was 100 um, at the peak of their bubble. So it, it's just important to, to understand that sometimes behavior is what drives everything. And when that's the case, all these other reasons don't really matter. So as much as eventually it probably will fall apart like it always has, trying to figure out when that eventually is is really, really difficult and you can get run over in the process. Yeah, so I think you know these are just some things that investors wanna think about when they're thinking about the economy and the stock market. The two aren't always, especially in the short run, gonna be tied at the hip. I think the last few months um, have been a perfect example of that. And, you know, trying to work through these points and understand them. It's easier to do it in hindsight. Um, it's harder to do, to do it when you're in like the here and now and stocks are down 30% to be able to see these. But I do think these are things, hopefully, that investors can continue to learn from so that when the next big decline happens, um, you can look back at history and look back at some of these examples and have a better understanding of how the market may react um, going forward, although, um, you know, it's never a sure thing. Yeah, you could make an argument right now that 
all of this is wrong and that the market's going to go down and you know we're, we're in for a big decline but you also can make an, an argument that you know many of these are, are solid reasons and the market's going to go on for you know significant gains and you know we'll get the pandemic under control and with all the stimulus the market's got a long way to go up you know the point here wasn't to have an opinion either way and you could certainly make an argument both ways but i do think it's not fair to say that there's absolutely no reason the market's up and some people say that have been saying that and, and i don't think that's i think there are reasons the market's up whether those reasons are correct we'll find out in the future. But I think all of this sort of it was my attempt to explain why there is some basis behind what's going on. All right. Good stuff. So I think we'll uh, wrap it up here. Um, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.